Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. We're here today talking about understanding life after loss. And our second guests are Fern Stewart-Welch and Rose Winters. Fern Stewart-Welch and Rose Winters are no strangers to loss or helping others. Fern is a veteran writer, and both have a long history of community service in the area of grief and loss. They are co-authors of the book, Tea with Elizabeth, which honors death and dying icon, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Welcome to the show, Fern and Rose. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Rose. I'm Fern. Oh, thank you, ladies. It's wonderful to have you on the show. And uh, we've got so much to talk about, and I feel like such short time. So I just wanted to uh, clue our audience in a little bit about your life experiences, because I always find that people who write about grief and loss and, and are involved in it tend to have had some past experiences that that make them empathetic or, you know, more understanding or more able to move in this area. And I wondered, uh, Fern, if you want to talk a little bit about your loss, we've got uh, on our YouTube site, uh, you've done a lovely YouTube about your your um, loss, your husband, and also about the work that you've done. I know you are also, uh, how many books have you written? This is my fourth. Wow. And uh, and the, the one before that, is, or is it the one before, what, what was your latest? Is Elizabeth your latest? Tea well, with uh, yes. It and is what's the one right before? Uh, you can live a balanced life in an unbalanced world. And then before that, uh, the heart knows the way, how to follow your heart to a conscious connection with the divine spirit within. Long title. And the one before that, One Ordinary Person's Journey to God. Wow. You have uh, it's very prolific about this. Well, talk a little bit about your, your lost journey. My lost journey has been very checkered and very interesting. Uh, not only did I... Um, assist my beloved husband through his last life journey, but I also helped two siblings and my parents. And one of the most interesting things about the first four, the two siblings and my parents, was that how uniquely different each experience was. Mm. And I believe that's true for every human being. It will be very unique and very different. Um, I also learned so much about the fact that depending upon how clear you are as far as your fears and issues around death and dying, the better death you will have. And and mine was a progression uh, from really very fearful with my first um, death experience, which was with my sister. Um, And she was so afraid that we could not even speak about death or dying in her presence. How old was she? She was 45. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, And what did she die? uh, She had cancer. Uh Uh-huh. And then the next one was my father, and and although he was um, not open to what I would call talking about having a conscious death or experience, he did have a deep faith, and and he was he was so accepting of it that was extremely interesting. And then with my, and how old was he? He was seventy nine. Uh huh. Okay. And then my younger brother came next, and he was by that time he was sixty. Uh huh. And um. He was open to talking about it a little bit, but when I got to the point where what it would be like after he died, that's where the big fear came in for him. Mm -hmm. And then your husband? And my husband, 
And uh, that was a long, a long trip. That was memory. almost ten years, if you can believe it. And how I lived through it is only because I did, with Elizabeth's help, uh, develop a deep personal connection with God, with the higher consciousness. And I was led through the process, and it was everything that my heart desired. Um, it was. I'm not saying it was easy. It wasn't. But with that help and that guidance, it was it was incredibly good and changed my life forever. Wow. And we'll be talking a little bit more about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross later for those who know and love her and for those who do not know her that would if they would love her if they knew her and knew of her work. Uh, Rose, would you uh, say something about your loss? Absolutely. Uh, even though I was in my 30s, going through the death of both my parents within six weeks of each other, what I realized um, with such intensity is that regardless of our age, we are never ready to be an orphan. Mm -hmm. And the experience of doing that because um, both of my parents were older uh, when they passed away, my father's death wasn't quite as unexpected, but my mother's was completely unexpected, and she actually died first. Um, and my father, I think, simply decided he didn't want to live any longer. And what did your mother die of? A uh, heart attack. Mm. Uh, just a sudden heart attack? A sudden heart attack, yes. And did she know your dad was sick? Yes. And, in fact, I had gone back. My parents were in Iowa. I was living here in Arizona, and my father was starting to show really serious erratic behavior. And my mother was of the old school where you just pull up by the bootstraps and you go through life with whatever life deals you. But it was becoming really much more than she could handle, and I went home to um, help see if we could get him into assisted living and that sort of thing, and I had been home just a short time, and she had a heart attack. It wasn't um, a terminal one, but it completely changed um, the journey because everything became very um, distorted. You know, there was my father and what he was going through and trying to figure out what was the best course there, and now my mother had shown um, incredible stress to the point of having a serious heart attack that slowed her. And then several months later, she had another heart attack that actually took her life. Now, what what about you in your 30s to have this kind of loss in that short a period? How did you cope with it? It was something that I came to understand that platitudes aren't healing. You know, it, it, I felt, and, and this was my own reaction, is that I was so engaged in my own loss that it felt like an assault almost to see people living everyday life as if nothing had happened when the most incredible human experience I believe that one can have, and that is the loss of a loved one through death, yeah, you, you know, I remember um, thinking, stop, I, uh, stop, the world's exactly. got to stop. Don't you know that yes, my son exactly. is dead? Heidi, do you remember thinking things like that? Absolutely. I even remember the sun shining and thinking, how dare the sun shine? It should be thundering and lightning right now. The world should know Absolutely. what kind of pain it is. It, it's something that is so tangible and real. 
and I often likened that period to being um, similar to a broken window without the glass actually falling out. The shards were just barely holding together. Um, that was very much the way that I felt during that. But interestingly enough, I heard um, your previous interview and talking about um, how you get through it and what you do and did you do enough. I, I mm -hmm. really don't feel that I was prepared for that experience, if, if you can be prepared. And as a result, um, looking back, I, I created an AIDS organization a year following both of my parents' deaths. And now looking back, I see that I was driven to do that to understand the dying process. At the, the time that I did that, um, AIDS was considered a terminal disease. And walking through that journey with so many people, it really gave me a deep appreciation of not only the experience of the dying, but also for all of us who are left behind. Yeah, now, that's one thing Heidi and I talk about for our audience out there is service when you're ready and when you want to do it and for those who want to do it. And there's no time frame. I mean, we, as we always mentioned, Candy Leitner, who started Mothers Against Drunk Driving three days mm -hmm. after her daughter died. Right. So, But there for a lot of people, you know, it's later on. But that outreach seems to work out pretty well, doesn't it, Heidi? Well, I think it, it yeah, when we turn our grief outwards, we're not so self-focused, and oftentimes it can help us in our own journey, and it can help us to heal. Yeah, now I want to bring up, uh, just mention for our audience out there, it was interesting, I went to, I was having lunch with a group of women, and I said, I'm going to interview these women about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and it was very interesting, uh, who's written a book about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and, uh, uh, you know, one, a couple of women, there were six of us, and a couple of women knew who she was, and other people did not know, and then I said, uh, are you familiar with the stages of grief, anger, denial, bargaining, depression, acceptance, and Everyone said, oh, yeah, they said, that sounds familiar. <laughs> and I said, well, there was a woman called Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who wrote a wonderful book on death and dying, which we all read. And what was it, the 80s? Was that when it um, came out? No, 1969. We're actually celebrating the 40th anniversary. 59? You mean I'm 69. 69. Oh, 69. Oh, good. Yeah. It's 40 <laughs> years. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she wrote this book, and she, I'm going to say what I, I, how I perceived it. I was a nurse at the time, and um, she actually asked people in the hospital if anybody was dying. She was a doctor, and people said, no, nobody's dying here. And then she went around and talked to patients or whatever, and she dared to say that people are actually dying at the hospital. Is, would that be kind of how you could sum it up quickly, Fern? Yes, exactly. So that and was a big shocker for all of us, and she dared to stand up and talk about it and uh, bring well, it well, to I, caregivers' awareness. I was going to say she made the topic of death not taboo. Right. Exactly. Right. She brought death and dying out of the dark ages into the light of compassion. Now, she uh, came up with these stages. Her, they were her observations. They've been empirically tested now and have not been found to be something that you lockstep go through. No, and, and, and somehow we've gotten caught into this idea that these stages are, you know, you, you, you go through them. I can, I can read them in so many places it kind of blows my mind that so many people um, 
are connected with these. They're an easy way to look at it. I think the stages are valid. It's just the question of does everyone go through them and did they and, go and, through lots yeah, of them? And she never meant for them to be seen as linear, that first you go through denial and then you'll go through anger and then uh, bargaining, etc. She just She was the first to identify that there was some kind of process involved in dying. And these were her observations. One of the things that is so fascinating to me is how they are being used today and that they have gone from being helpful observations to give us an idea of the behavioral and um, thought process involved in dying to something that many people now have put them in cement and expect that wait, what are you doing? You went through anger last week. You're supposed to be in bargaining today, and when are you going to get to acceptance? And life isn't like that, and dying certainly isn't. And I think it's a travesty that Elizabeth's incredible pioneering work has been um, changed to mean something that she never intended. Mm-hmm. Heidi, can you uh, just mention we were talking about some of the problems with this idea that you have to go through these stages that people well, conjure up? Oh, I, I just think that we, we ebb and flow through all of these feelings. And like you just mentioned, there are not rigid stages, but we do tend to go through the denial, you know, anger, et cetera, and we go back and forth between them, and it's, it's mm-hmm. normal. You know, one of the problems that Heidi and I have seen is we actually, you know, we do a lot of presentations on <clears throat> grief and loss, and one of the problems is we'll have somebody come up to us, like a wife will come up and say, you know what, my husband refuses to get out of anger. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or, or my husband was in anger and then he moved out of it, and now he's back there. Is he going backwards? Yeah, mm-hmm. am I regressing? Right. right. Mm-hmm. So that idea, and and unfortunately, a lot of the therapy community has embraced that whole idea too, and so their therapists are telling them that, you know, you need yeah. to go towards acceptance, which is really unfortunate because, you know, is there really any should in life, and so to put that kind of weight on someone who is dying, and it's also important to note that people tend to die. Um, the way that they lived, and a lot of people are angry in life, mm-hmm. and so their anger becomes more, perhaps, accelerated through the dying process. Yeah, or, you're not going to be a whole different person. No. And, and the other thing is that, that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote these stages for people that were dying, not for people that were grieving. Two, very yes. true. Uh, I wanted to, uh, Rose is going to have to leave us after this segment, and so and we're going to talk a little bit more about what is in the book, uh, Tea with Elizabeth with Fern, uh, when we come back from break. But before we go to break, Rose, I wanted to know if there's something that you could you wanted to leave our audience with about understanding life after loss. What have you come to understand? That life is precious, and it truly is about living every moment of every day. And I know that that sounds trite, and it may be even one of those platitudes that I started with by saying when you're in the the heart of grieving that it's hard to accept. But there's even gifts and richness in going through the grieving process, and it does get better. 
I've had to uh, run off, so now we've got Fern on the show, and we decided we would, donate, you know, have this uh, segment of the show really talking a little bit more about uh, the book Tea with Elizabeth that honors Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Well, Fern, tell us a little bit about how you ended up writing it with Rose, and uh, and you knew Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and tell us a bit about that. Okay, well, um, I had uh, been to a number of Elizabeth workshops through the years, and I had met her, and I am... Um, Friends, dear friends, with a mutual friend of hers who was Elizabeth's personal doctor when near the end of her life. So I have known her for probably 20 years, but um, only on a deeply personal level for the last 10 years of her life, from 1994 to 2004. And we became very dear friends. And when she um, made her transition, I was writing a tribute for her memorial service and. I went into meditation, <clears throat> excuse me, and the minute I went into meditation, I received the full concept of the book and also the <laughs> the guidance to um, ask Rose, who was a friend, to be part of it. And I knew that she knew Elizabeth and had been friends with her. And, of course, I asked Elizabeth's son, who lived here, uh, to be part of it. And I did ask them, and they agreed immediately because we all knew that Elizabeth was one of the most incredible compassionate souls on the earth at any time, and that she had been pretty much maligned and and, uh, and had a lot of opposition against her bringing uh, death and dying out of the dark ages into the light of compassion and reason. And she was really pretty much um, had a lot of opposition from the medical profession who were still entrenched in all the old taboos around death and dying and not talking about it, that kind of thing. So our desire was to put together a book asking people who had been on the journey with her to join with us and to tell their stories about the woman that we knew and loved who was, you know, real, vital, filled with love and fun and life and not the international icon, the death and dying lady, lady who had no, no human capacity to her. So, well, um, what great stories and what great people you have writing for it. I, I, Carolyn Mays, I know Carolyn, I used to work with her. Uh, Heidi, who are some of the ones that you like? Bernie, Bernie Siegel, who's one of our authors, our contributing authors on Open to Hope, and we've also had him as a guest on our show. Mm-hmm. And, Muhammad uh, Ali. Sarah Ferguson, Duchess of York. Right. Mm-hmm. Stephen Levine, another best-selling author and dear friend of Elizabeth. Raymond Moody, Life After Life. Bernie Siegel, as uh, Heidi said. Uh, J. Donald Schumacher, who is the uh, president and CEO of Hospice International, Marianne Williamson, Doreen Virtue, Melina Kanakaridis, who is the star of CSI New York, uh, and just so many people, celebrities, colleagues, family, friends, and people from all walks of life, people who perhaps um, uh, needed to have her specific brand of knowledge and awareness about death and dying. And some of the stories are just so soul-stirring about how she re- would respond to people. Okay, Fern, I want to ask you this question. Sure. I am a brief person out there now. Am I going to get something out of it? Yes. Or is it just going to be a story? Am I going to get some wisdom, yes. some advice, some help? Yes. So it's going to be a good book for me to get? Oh, yes, positively. It, it, no, it's it's not just a good like read, but I'm going to yeah, get some help out of it. not just a good read, no. It sounds like you'll get inspiration and find hope as well with your own in struggling with your own loss. Yes, very mm-hmm. much so. Great. Well, tell us how we're going to get this book. You can get it through Amazon.com, all the online um, uh, bookstores, 
Barnes and Noble, uh, your local bookstore. It's really uh, very available. So, so Fern, I have one quick question. When Elizabeth died, since you did know her so well, did she actually apply her own principles to her own death? That would be very difficult for me to say, but I, what I understand from those who were with her, her son, mm -hmm. her daughter, the grandchildren, very young, uh, that she did come to peace with. We all believe that she came to peace within herself. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, that's what our <laughs> book is about. She was a real human being, and when right. she came to death, she had to come at it the same way that every human being does, in their own individual way, and mm -hmm. she did. And although she she fought death, not because she wanted to live, she wanted to die because she felt she was through with this life. And well, and I love, and that leads right into the quote that I have here that she said, which is, when we have passed the test, we are allowed to graduate. Right. We are allowed to shed our body, which imprisons our souls. That's beautiful. I, I love that. That was that was the essence of Elizabeth. She did not. But it's not easy. Not always easy shedding that body, is it? Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I think of all the people that I've ever known in in this lifetime or read about, I think Elizabeth had the most aware, conscious understanding that death is not the most fearful experience and event in the world. It's meant to be a sacred, loving, spiritually enlightened experience. And Elizabeth did believe that with all her heart and soul. Now and tell me what, uh, getting back to our theme and getting ready to close the show, what did you learn about understanding life after loss from her and from your own experience and from everything for our audience out there? If you can clear as much as possible your own fears around death and dying, you can be there for your loved one, truly be present for your loved one. And the gifts you will receive in being able to be that, to do that, are that you will experience death the way it's meant to be experienced. And it will not be a sad, horrible, anguished, stressful thing. It will be a beautiful event, and you'll never be the same. Mm -hmm. After my husband's death, within a short time, I was filled with great joy, great peace, an anticipation of the future, and a reaffirmation of life. So that's a wonderful thing to think for those who maybe are bereaved this week or whatever, that this can be in your future too. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and I, I think you have a quote that you're going to close with. Yes. This is from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Know your own self and view life as a challenge, where the hardest choices are the highest ones, the ones that resonate with righteousness and provide the strength and insight of him, the highest of the high. Uh, thank you so much. That's a wonderful closing. It's time to close our show, and I want to thank Fern Welch. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you Thanks, so much Fern. for having me. And Rose Winters and Kimberly Carolyn. Please stay tuned in again next week when our guest will be Julie Lang, who lost her son Justin at age 16. Uh, and she is author of Life Between Falls, A Travelogue Through Grief and the Unexpected, and Ira Bayok. Ira is the Director of Palliative Medicine at Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center. He's the author of Dying Well, The Four Things That Matter Most. This show is archived on our blog, thegriefblog.com, as well as the Compassionate Friends website. Please stay tuned again next Thursday at 9 Pacific Standard, 12 Eastern, for more of Healing the Grieving Heart. Remember, others have been there before you and made it. You can, too. You need not walk alone. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Kimberly, Rose, and Fern, thank you for helping people understand life after loss.
You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.